You know, as, uh, first off, I'm glad to be here, excited to be with Keith and um, being under Jeff's worship today, which is uh, fantastic. Um, as Keith said, you guys have been studying a theme this summer. The idea is called Passages. And the basic idea is that uh, you would take passages of Scripture, open them up, and ask God to speak to you. To simply take um, a word from God, to study it a little bit, and see how it can apply to your life. So that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to continue that theme of passages. And the passage that we're going to look at today is John 13. John 13, uh, we're going to look through um, verses 1 through about 17. And we're going to open it up and see what Jesus does in this passage. But more importantly, we're going to see what Jesus can do in us today and through us by studying this passage, by opening it up and looking at what God has to say. So that's where we're going today. Um, before we get going, let's uh, bow for a word of prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for God, your passages to us that can inspire us and give us wisdom in this life. God, it can um, correct us, can mold us, and shape us. Father, we ask that you would use your word today to speak to us. God, that there would be things in this passage that would change our hearts, and therefore, God, it would change our actions. We come before you um, in desperate need of you, each and every one of us. God, in need of your presence, in need of your spirit. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Everybody um, has heard of a phrase, and if I say it, you could probably finish the sentence with me. If I were to say this phrase, I'll never forget where I was when. Everybody has those moments in their life. I'll never forget where I was when President Kennedy was shot. Some of you are like, President Kennedy, who, who, who's that? Okay, so let's, let's bring this up a little bit. I'll never forget where I was when the space shuttle exploded. Never forget that. I'll never forget where I was when the Twin Towers came down on 9-11. I'll never forget where I was when the tornadoes ravaged North Alabama. There are things in our life that, that we'll never forget, and it's unique because that sentence is never filled out like this. I'll never forget where I was when I brushed my teeth on a Tuesday morning. Right? I mean, you never hear that kind of phrase. It's always something that's out of the ordinary, something that's probably a little bit of a curveball, and something that impacted your life so greatly that you'll simply never forget it. And that is really what is happening in John 13. It is something that's so out of the ordinary, such a curveball, that when it happened, it was unusual. When the first People who heard of this story being retold heard it. It was unusual. And even today, as we read this, the goal is that by the time we leave here today, we will be able to say, I'll never forget where I was when I heard about Jesus washing the disciples' feet and what it did in my life and how it changed me. So that's where we're going. If you would look in uh, John 13... Verse 1, it says this. It was just before the Passover feast. So it, it's setting us up the, the scene of what's going on, of what's happening right here. It was just before the Passover feast. 
Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. That's an amazing phrase. To think about the Christ who performed so many miracles, who died on the cross for us and rose again. It's such a unique phrase that what we're getting ready to read says that Jesus now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, as this happened, this was a complete curveball in the life of the disciples. This was something so out of the ordinary that I guarantee you when the people heard this story being retold for the first time, there was probably a moment of pause. There was probably a moment of, wait, 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 you've got that story a little bit wrong. I'm not quite sure you, you read that correctly. You didn't you know, remember it correctly. Could you retell it again? Jesus got up from the table. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He got a basin and he filled it with water and he started going around the room and washing the disciples' feet. It was something that the disciples will have never forgotten. You see, those men who followed after Jesus, those who were called his disciples, one of the things that um, in that time frame when the disciples followed a teacher, they were required to do things. One of the things that they were required to do was to follow after their teacher, to follow after their rabbi. We see Jesus saying it to the fishermen. He says, come follow me. If any Jewish boy of that day were going to follow a teacher and follow a rabbi, one of the things they did was they simply followed them. They also were to learn everything that they were teaching. They were to memorize it. They were to study it. They were to become one with that rabbi, that teacher's teaching. They had to do all sorts of things for their teacher. But the unique thing, if you look throughout commentaries or scripture and People talking about this. One of the unique things that a disciple did not have to do for a teacher was to wash his feet. It was considered um, just a little too demeaning, a little too much to ask. And so here we have Jesus, who is the teacher and the rabbi of the moment, getting up from the dinner table, They're just laying around, meal in the middle, all reclined, Walking in chacos, basically, what we would call chacos today, sandals, walking through dirt and grime, gets up and washes the feet of the disciples. And let's be honest, when, when we start reading this passage and we hear of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, there's probably some level of tension that starts to rise. First off, you're like, I don't really know this guy. I have no idea where he's going. He's talking about foot washing. And there's probably some level of tension going, is this dude getting ready to bring out a basin and towel? We're not going to do that, okay? So let's go ahead and just lower your tension down. Just relax a little bit, Derek. Just relax a little bit. That was probably the same feeling right there in the room. As we go through the rest of the passage, you see Peter saying, whoa, 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 Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. It's a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit awkward. 
And it's something that's so out of the ordinary that there's no way the disciples ever forgot it. And you see, this passage is extremely important. It's said in the very first verse, and it's said in the third verse. Let's look at it for a second. Jesus says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. That's in verse one. In verse three, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. What do you do with someone when they're getting ready to leave your presence for an extended period of time? You often offer words of wisdom, correct? Yesterday, um, my wife and family and I, we were in Costco enjoying a fine meal of pizza and churros. And I'm telling you, if you've never had pizza and churros at Costco, just come talk to me. And as we're there, we ran into um, two or three families that we knew, and they were there loading up their buggies full of stuff to prepare their kids to go off to college in about two weeks, all right? And I guarantee you, as they're walking through the aisles, picking up bars of soap and picking up towels, there was probably some last words of wisdom from mom and dad. Now, don't forget, honey, when you go and your car light starts getting towards E, you got to fill it up. You got to put gas in your car. Don't talk to strangers. You know, all those things, just trying to cram everything that they've taught to their kid in 18 years into this five-minute Costco experience. We do it all the time. When you see somebody wheeling someone back into surgery to go have open-heart surgery, and there is a, a wife of a husband, and that wife leans in close to her husband before they roll him back, whispers a few words, baby, I love you. You know I love you. Everything's gonna be okay. Kiss him on the cheek, and they move on. That's the same exact scenario that's going on right here. Jesus knew that his time had come. He knew that it was about ready to wrap up. This was gonna be one of the last times he had with his disciples all together. He wanted to give them something of extreme importance. He wanted to tell them something so valuable, just as you would grab that face of a loved one before they walk out the door. Let me tell you one more time. Baby, I love you. Make wise choices. And you kiss him on the cheek and send him. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He is basically grabbing the disciples by their faces and saying, let me tell you one more thing. And it's of extreme importance and it's so bizarre, isn't it, that Jesus would get up, put a towel around his waist, grab a basin, fill it with water, and start washing his disciples' feet. He knew that his hour had come, and he now showed them the full extent of his love. You see, the reason I believe Jesus did this, the reason I think he chose this moment and this action was because he knew that his disciples and that we have a problem. And our problem is this, and it's on your outline, and it, it kind of would look like this. You can look all through scripture, all right? Our problem would be highlighted from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the gospels and to the end of the Bible. You can see it in scripture and you can see it in history. In Genesis, we see Adam and Eve going into the garden and taking the apple. And God comes and finds them in chapter three. And he says, hey, Adam, what you got? What are you guys doing? And Eve says, well, um, that serpent that you made, he showed me the apple and told me to eat it. And so I, I ate it. And Adam is like, well, that woman that you made for me, well, she showed me the apple. And so I chose to eat it. From the very beginning of time, you see, we're making choices that benefit us. We're making choices that are good for me. You see it all the way into Proverbs where a wise saying says, 
for a, the way of a man seems right to himself, but in the end, it leads to destruction. We see it in Genesis. We see it in Proverbs that we choose and do things that are, that are good for me, that benefit me. We see it all the way into the Gospels where Jesus asked the disciples, guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's going on? What are you arguing about? And their response is, Jesus, we were, we were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus knew that we have a problem you can see it in scripture. You can see it all throughout history from the baby's room all the way up to a boardroom. You see, we are bent towards ourselves. All throughout scripture, we see this. All throughout history. If you take three 14-year-old boys and don't feed them for several hours and you walk in the room and you place two Chick-fil-A sandwiches in front of them, it's gonna be a fight, right? Because we are bent towards ourselves. Our natural inclination seems to be, what is good for me? What can I do that will help me in this situation? We may not always say it out loud in those words, but our actions prove it. In Genesis, Adam and Eve proved it, that they said, you know what? I, this is better for me than what God has chosen. In Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man. It seems right when we look at it and we go, you know what, this is gonna help me, but in the end, it leads to destruction. In Mark, we see the disciples arguing, you know what, who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom? This guy's really cool, this Jesus guy, and when we get to heaven, I am so good, I'm gonna be the greatest. We are bent towards ourselves. The problem with this is when we make decisions and when we live our lives bent towards ourselves, we will miss the needs of others. And so we have Jesus knowing that the time has come for him to leave this world. The time has come to launch his disciples into the world and for him to leave. And he wants to do something that they would never forget. He wants to wrap up all that he's tried to teach them over these years into this one singular act. And so he gets up and he washes their feet something that they weren't even required to do for him. He's trying to paint a picture for them. He's trying to paint a picture for me. He's trying to paint a picture for you. That when we follow after Christ, when we seek after him, that one of the things that he wants to do, he wants to change our hearts. To change our mindset from being bent towards ourselves and what is good for only us, but to also look out for the needs of others. Because when we're bent towards ourselves, we simply miss the everyday needs of our friends, our family, coworkers, strangers. So you see, Jesus understood that we have this problem. And I think all of us could readily see and readily admit, you know what, if I'm honest with myself, most of the time I'm, I'm bent towards me. I'm bent towards myself. Now, that, that's not pointing to you. That's pointing straight to me as well. That throughout this life, if we're honest, most days our thoughts are on, you know what, God says live this way, but this seems pretty appealing. Or how am I going to lift myself up in a situation? But the unique thing is God does not leave us simply with a problem. But really, he has a plan for us. And that's what we want to look at as we continue through the scripture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. 
what is God's plan in this life? If we are bent towards ourselves, what is God's plan to help straighten us out, to help turn our face away from ourselves and turn our face to him? And we see it in verse 12 of this same chapter in chapter 13. If you have your Bible up, you can just kind of roll over there with me to verse 12. And it says this. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said this, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you, do you get it? Because as we said, there's probably some moment of awkwardness. There's probably some moment of tension, of of uh, what's going on. And all throughout the scripture, when we see Jesus teaching the disciples, there's, there's quite often a time where he teaches them something, but then he kind of has to circle back around and kind of explain it. And so he's circling back around. He says, okay, guys, um, do you get what I've just done for you? Do, you? do you understand what it is? So he spells it out. And he says, you know what? Um, you guys call me master and teacher. And, and that's right because that's what I am. That's what he says to them. You know, I, you're, you're right. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. Now that I have done these things for you, you too should do these things. He's, he's reminding them of the situation because you see, as, as we talked about earlier, they are his disciples. They are his followers. They're going to do so many things, but the one thing they didn't have to do was to wash his feet. He says, now that, that I, your master, your teacher, have done this for you, you too should do this for other people. You see, this is God's plan, that what he gives to us, how he treats us, it is not simply to be brought in and relished and celebrated only in our lives in a singular moment, but that it is to be received and then to be delivered out to everyone you meet. So Jesus says, now that I, your teacher and master, have done this for you, I want you to do the same thing. This is the way I want you to live, that your life would be lived in such a way that it's not bent towards yourself, but that it's bent towards God and it's bent towards other people. This is God's plan. In fact, we see it in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus is teaching and people are talking to him and they're trying to, to trip him up and he, he again shows us his plan for life. And uh, let me read this for you. There are some Pharisees, and they're trying to, to test Jesus. All right? They're trying to see what he would have to say in certain situations so that they could find things on him to trip him up. And so they ask him a question. Um, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And this is his reply. The greatest commandment in the law he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment, Jesus, tell us what that is. And his response is, love God with everything that you have. And then love others as yourself other words, do no longer be bent towards yourself, but that your life should be bent towards God, and it should be able to see the needs of other people. Now that I, your master and Lord, have washed your feet, so you should wash each other's feet. 
So you should look out to the interests of other people. So you should serve those around you. This is God's plan. He said it all throughout scripture. And so what's so unique is that just a few moments later after washing the disciples' feet, in fact, he does it again. He says this very same thing again back in John. In case that the uh, object lesson didn't quite work, in case they didn't quite grasp what he was really doing, in case they're still a little um, stunned by him washing his feet, he says this to them. Just in case they didn't get it. In um, John 13, 34, he says this. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, in that blank, it says this. Um, Jesus says, I give you a new command. Um, now, Jeff and I were laughing because I was going to put, actually, um, a Greek word there just to kind of throw everybody off for those of you who like to guess where we're going with the, with the blanks. But we decided that Keith wouldn't like that, so we, we cut that part out. But it's unique because the word here is mitzvah, all right? Now, the reason that's important is because it really means command in as a good Jewish boy that are hearing these words, they understood that word command because they had learned and memorized all the commands of God, right? And they called them what? The Ten Commandments. Exactly. So here Jesus is and he says, you know what? I've got a new command for you. So it automatically grabbed their attention. This is something for me to learn. This is something for me to know. And this is something for me to do. So just in case the object lesson of Jesus washing their feet didn't quite sink in, he then adds on a new command I give to you. This is something I want you to do. I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. And what had he just done? He had just humbled himself and washed their dirty feet. He had done one of the lowest things in their culture to do at that time, was to cleanse and wash their feet before a meal. I want you to love one another. So here we have a problem. And that problem all throughout scripture, throughout history, and in our own lives, we're able to recognize this, the fact that we're simply bent towards ourselves and our own need. God has a plan, however, and that is to put others ahead of ourselves and to love one another. So the real focus, as you guys go through passages of scripture this summer, and Keith even alluded to it earlier, was that you would not simply hear this and go, you know what, that's, that's a fascinating story. I, I learned a new Greek word. I learned all sorts of things. Wow, that was cool. But that you would take these things, that I would take these things, we would turn the mirror onto ourselves and we would see, how am I now going to apply this? How am I now going to affect this in my life? How do I put others ahead of myself? How do I help myself not be bent towards me, but rather see the needs of other people. And your blank here gives us the how, very, very simply, in one word, humility. The how of all of this is based in an attitude and a lifestyle of humility. Something that is extremely difficult to do for people like ourselves who are bent towards ourselves. All throughout scripture we see this. But God calls us to this characteristic in life. 
And if Jesus is going to take the face of his disciples before he leaves and he whispers these things into their lives as a last instruction to them, then I think it's extremely important that we pay attention to it. And to be able to follow these instructions and to live these things out, it is marked by a life that is humble and is characteristic of humility. Philippians teaches us about this. If you would turn there with me or I'll read it to you. Philippians 2, verse 3, and it says this. I'm going to read a couple of verses out of here. But this is really the how, okay? So Jesus gives us some fantastic instructions from his word. Paul is writing to us here, and he says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. No longer be bent towards yourself with your actions, with your thoughts, with your words. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Now, that's a verse that we probably would be wise to read almost daily. Because you see, if we're going to put others first in our life, as we're going to live a life of humility, a life of service towards other people like Christ has emulated and commanded to us in his last moments in life, it's a life that does nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's extremely difficult. At least it is for me. To do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But each of us should look not only to our interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should look like this. It should be like Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So we have two little arrows here. And um, the idea is this, that to live a life of humility, if we're going to do that, we often have to have reminders. And so the two arrows here are the reminders of that. And the example, when we are wanting to do things that benefit simply us, when we want to be selfish, um, when we don't want to help out, when we want to allow others to simply serve us instead of living in a way that Christ lived and serving other people, the example of humility, the first thing can be the example of Christ himself. The example of Christ. In Philippians 2.6, it's an absolutely phenomenal verse. It says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Right? So the example of Christ is this. All of Christ equal to God. He did not consider his equality with God, something to be even grasped. He did not use those things of God to wait into his favor. He did not place them on the scale of his own life and use them as a source of favor in his own life to weigh more than other people. He did not consider equality with God something to even be grasped. The example of Christ is the example for us that when we look at other people, it's very easy sometimes to say, you know what, I've got a great job. I'm, I'm a big guy in my industry. 
I, I can't really be moving chairs or a paintbrush really doesn't fit in my hand or, you know, I'm not going to go over there and do that. Um, that's for other people. I have gifts in other areas. Or we, we flip it the other way and say, you know what? I, I've got a really bad marriage right now. I'm really struggling with my kids. Therefore, you know, I'm going to have to let other people do these things. Jesus did not consider equality something to be grasped. Equality with God. He did not take those things that were in his very nature John 1, 1, the word was God. The word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus and God are the same. He did not consider it to be in his own favor. The attitude and mind of Christ was such that he was willing to serve other people. The example of Christ for us in humility is do not take those things which we use as benefit in this life. Do not take your position in this life or your lack of position in this life to use to wait in your favor that would say, you know what, I don't have to do that. I don't have to serve somebody. I don't have to love them in that way because of these things. The example of Christ is one that serves everyone. Our attitude should be just like Christ. So we have the example of Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather emptied himself and became a servant to all. But we also have the reminder of the cross. So we have the example of Christ, but we have the reminder of the cross. And you know what the cross does? The reminder of the cross should be this for you that when you start to realize, when I start to realize that I'm being bent towards myself, the reminder of the cross is this reminder that each and every one of us weigh the same at the foot of the cross. We are all in desperate need of God's grace. No matter from the CEO to the lowest person to the wisest person in here who's done the fewest wrong things to the person who's done the most wrong things, each and every one of us are in desperate need of God's grace, of God's mercy, and of God's love at the foot of the cross. So when I start to think, you know what, I'm too big for this. This is something that I don't have to do. I don't have to serve this person in this way. You know what, they should listen to what I have to say. The example of Christ is that I would have his attitude. The reminder of the cross is that, you know what? I am in desperate need of God's grace and I am nothing. It should be very easy to empty ourselves when we look at what God has forgiven us. When I look at my own life and I think of the things that God has forgiven me, it should give me an attitude of humility, an attitude of being able to serve someone else, to put others' needs ahead of my own. So we have a problem, and that problem is this, that we're bent towards ourselves. but God has a plan, and it's that we would love other people, that we would put their needs ahead of ours, and the way we do this is through humility. And when I'm lacking in this sense of humility, the best thing for me to do is to take the example of Christ's attitude, emptying himself of all that he could have counted as gain in his category, emptying himself of that and serving. And the reminder of the cross, where I'm reminded of God's grace and his mercy upon my life. So when we look at all of those things, 
Let's take it into this one phrase. So. So, what now? God calls us to action. Because you see, as he said in the, the verse, he mentioned that now that I've done these things for you, you should do these things for others. So the action is this, that we too would live our lives in such a way that we are serving those around us. Now, let's go around that table that Jesus was at for one moment, okay? Who are some of the people that we have? We have Simon Peter, we have John, we have Thomas, we have Judas, and we have the remainder of the disciples, right? So with just that portion of the table, we have someone who denied Jesus within the next few hours, right? We have someone who betrayed Jesus. We have someone that Jesus calls his beloved disciple. We have someone that doubted Jesus, right? Just a little bit of that table. If we go around that table, we have these characters in their life. So Jesus humbled himself and loved those who betrayed him, who denied him, who doubted him, who loved him. Go around your table, your sphere of influence for a moment. There are undoubtedly people that you love deeply and to serve them is nothing but a joy in your life. You love them. To serve them is, is pleasing. But there are probably people who doubt you. There are probably people who will betray you. There are people who are going to deny that they even had any relation with you. All this to say that every person we're called to serve is not easy to serve. Every person that we're called to love is maybe not easy to love. There are people in each one of our lives, but yet the reminder of Jesus washing the dirt and the grime off of their feet and off of my feet is a reminder to ourselves that God calls us to serve other people. Verse 17 of John 13 says this, now that you know these things, now that you kind of have a grasp, that you're able to look at this and say, you know what, I've, I've got a problem. I'm bent towards myself. I get it. Jesus is doing this unique thing by washing his disciples' feet, and he's telling them to go and do just that. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. May we, as a people and followers of Christ, may we be so enamored with Christ washing our feet that we would wash the feet of those around us. May you see the dirt and the grime that has fallen off of your feet. May it spur you on to loving those around you, those who betray you, those who are trouble for you, and those who love you. May God bless you when you do the things that he has called us to do. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you call us to. God, we ask that you would give us the strength to do it because it can be awfully difficult. There are people in our lives, God, that sometimes make it extremely difficult to serve and to love. And then also, God, we are so bent towards ourselves that it, sometimes we don't even think of serving other people. But God, you whispered this into the disciples' lives right before you left. And you've called us to do the same thing. God, may you give us the humility to serve other people. In your son's name we pray. Amen.